My name is Paul Harvey, and you are listening to Life, Passion and Business, a podcast born out of my desire to find greater meaning in life at the time when I thought there was none. Since that day, I have spoken to hundreds of people, and what I have discovered is that our story is everything. Because what we do, feel, or experience is based on the stories that we tell ourselves. It's time to explore what it means to live a good life. How do we make this experience better? And more importantly, how do we lead the world to a better place? You know, I didn't really understand what was going on for a while. what had happened was we'd taken over companies, other companies had merged with us, there were some massive reorganisations, you know, there was sort of like, and not only the uncertainty that brought with it and, and the disruption, but, you know, what I realised later, that the culture, the whole culture of the organisation was shifting. So, you know, I got from 19 years of really excited about working here and uh, this is fabulous I'm really enjoying this and I'm making a contribution I feel valued to oh, get up I wish I could stay in bed I you know I have to go to work again sort of thing do you pick your challenges are you ready to make the break to get what you want in the shortcast on Sunday I spoke about post-traumatic growth and the perception that we must experience a big fall or face hardship as a motivation for change. I said on that show that some people will deliberately make themselves uncomfortable as a means to find that motivation. My guest on the show today is one of those people. He tells me he's been lucky and life has treated him well. It has, but I suspect that is because he's prepared to take the opportunities as they arrive. Jürgen Strauss was born in Germany. As a child, his family emigrated to Australia. At this time in the late 1950s, Australia was a very English culture. And as a German-speaking child with a funny name and an accent, he experienced a lot of prejudice. His father was an engineer, so looking for something practical, he went to college and got a degree in chemistry. Staying in education, he chose to use his language skills and found a postdoctoral fellowship at a German university. It was amazing to be back in his motherland. The work was both challenging and exciting. He left after two years and went on to work at the chemical company Agfa. At the time, they were the leading manufacturer of chemicals for film and processing. And he was part of the team that developed some of the unique chemistry for a photographic paper that could develop slide images. And it went to market at just the same time as the first digital cameras appeared. He witnessed a classic blockbuster moment as the Agfa management were choosing to ignore the possibility that digital photography could make them irrelevant. Jürgen could see the writing on the wall and by now he was married with a young child and I guess taking his family's lead they chose to return to Australia. Our conversation is a wonderful story. We cover values, networking, relationships, and being an introvert in business and podcasting. Yes, Jürgen discovered podcast hosting a few years back, and he has used the medium to connect with over 600 people from all over the world. Today, he's a transformational marketing strategist. His vision and philosophy is about making marketing human again. It's all about finding the real story with human-centered marketing and podcasting. So let's join this conversation with Jürgen Strauss. How did it begin? Because I don't think Jürgen Strauss is Australian. That's right. So <laughs> I, was, I was born in Germany. Yeah. And I, as a young, very young man, emigrated to Australia. So my parents actually emigrated here. My father um, worked for Robert Bosch, and he was actually one of a small team that set up the um, Bosch factory, production factory and research facility here in Australia back in the 1950s. And he first came out here on a five-year contract and, of course, we came along. I was about two and a half years old. So I grew up in Australia. That five-year contract, by the way, he still lives here. He's in his 90s. So that five-year contract kind of kept getting renewed. And... um, as a result, I grew up in Australia, went to school in Australia, 
went through a lot of bullying in my youth because I was different and I was German and it was the post-war years, so there was still a lot of um, well, yeah. Bad I mean, feeling. when I was when I was a child, you know, the Bosch was a, was an insult. You know, battling the Bosch was was what it was yeah. called. So yeah, absolutely, you would have been very much in that, that prejudice. Yep, definitely, and and of course with a different name and everything, and and Australia has changed a lot over the years, <clears> but in those days it was very. English-centric and very conservative English. I mean, not even the, the modern English, very conservative state, upper-middle-class English, and, you know, that those colonial roots were very strong, so anything that was different was kind mm. of um, really discriminated against. So that kind of um, did my childhood, and, and I suppose I, I was very driven from an early age to prove that I was good enough and, mm. and belonged and looking to fit in. Um, after I finished my degree at university, I um, I went on to do a PhD in chemistry. And a lot of the people, when they completed their PhDs in science fields, um, looked to do postdoctoral work in the UK or in the USA. And I thought, well, I'll follow that route too, but I'll do it differently. Because I spoke German, I thought, here's an opportunity to go to Germany. And of course, Germany was a big... Um, very big in the chemical industry. Mm. Um, so I was really fortunate in that I landed a postdoctoral fellowship that was very generous. I mean, I was paying what for me then was a fortune. I was much better off than a lot of the other postdoc scholarship holders in, in those other countries because it was funded by the German Industry Council, the chemical industry. And it was with a professor who was one of the leading lights in the German chemical industry. Just and, just to put so, a point here for people who don't know what postdoc means and what that implication is, I'm assuming this is you assist someone else's work on a shoestring, normally. Sort of. I mean, it's it's actually you actually get your own project that oh, okay. you work on, and you, you're given a lot of independence. It depends very much who you go with, which which professor you go with, and what kind of scholarship you are on. Some professors actually use it to um, get work done on the cheap, if you like. Yeah, that's and, what I was thinking. So I mean, so this yeah, is quite, so quite your position was quite unique because a lot of this is, as you say, it's, it, it, you're doing the grunt work of someone else's professor, I imagine. Yeah, yeah, it was it was that in a life, but you know, I had I had the opportunity to really work in in some challenging um, in a challenging chemical environment from an academic point of view, yeah. um, which was good for my learning, good for my development. Yes, I was contributing to the professor's body of work, uh, but I I had a really good scholarship. I was, so I, I I was there for two years, and it was a really interesting experience. I learned a lot, not just. I learned a lot about life in that time because all of my German, I was, I'm fluent in German, perfectly bilingual. However, all my German was conversational German that I'd learned at home with my family, with friends who, who are also German. And when I first arrived at the university in Germany and I, I was in front of my empty desk, so I had to get all the equipment that I needed and they said, okay, this is where you go to the glass blower to get specialized equipment made. And I was I was always into getting specialized equipment done and I was designing my own equipment. And I had all these designs that I'd brought with me, but I couldn't explain it to anyone. <laughs> so, you know, whereas in Australia I'd go to the glass blower or to, to somebody else and I'd say, I need this and here's how it looks and here's what it's got to do. And they'd say, Yep, I got it, and they'd go ahead and make that for me. In Germany, that that became a real challenge, and I'd never expected that, you know, because I didn't have the language in um, in technical terms to do that. Even though I I was always the one in in my university in Australia that was doing the technical translation for everybody else, there was a course you act, actually had to do. You actually had to have a German technical uh, reading. Uh, ability. You had to do that course as part of the program. And, and of course, everybody came to me and said, hey, you can help me with that. There's always that, that difference between, you know, sort of like um, education and reality, isn't there? And in a yeah, language, right. and in a language, that's very true, isn't it? That's, that's so true. Mm. So how did you, I guess you, you spent a lot of time catching up on that one, I guess. Yeah, yeah, it was, um, there was a lot of catch up. And I mean, the, they were wonderful times because I yeah. met, 
a lot of great friends. I still have, you know, one of my best friends is in Germany, lives in Germany. I met in those days and we've been in touch and pretty close ever since. And there were a lot of other friends that I made in that time. So they were really supportive. They were really helpful. And, you know, it, it took maybe six months and then yeah. I just felt at home, really. Yeah, of course, of course. Yeah, which yeah. I, know, I know a lot of lot of the other um, postdoc people that went to the UK or the US, even though they didn't have those language challenges, they never really felt at home because mm. the differences were just so great. Mm. Whereas I very quickly started to feel at home. Yeah, I, that's interesting because I guess an Australian always feels like an Australian, but you weren't. You were you were a German Australian, and dropping back into yeah, your, into your right. mother country, both. yeah, yeah, mm. dropping back into your mother country would make you feel very much at home there. Yeah, yeah, fascinating isn't it? how that that cheap yeah. twist happens. And, and there were so many things that I realised. Wow, you know that I missed those things, but I'd never really re- realised that I'd missed them. I missed them because I'd heard about this stuff. So, for example, the history, yeah. you know, the old castles and and the museums and the culture, the wine festivals, and just the whole, um, you know, the whole what do you call it? The the way life was there in those days. I mean, Australia's come a long way in the last twenty years, but in those days, going out to a restaurant, going to wine festivals, just wasn't done in Australia. It hardly, hardly was available. And no, of course, the history, the European history, is um, only a couple of hundred years old, and the indigenous, um, the indigenous history is not really celebrated even today. It's not really celebrated, even no. though that's um, hundreds of thousands of years old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So where did you leave, where did you go after this? Because this was a wonderful opportunity for you in the chemical industry. Did it take you? To it big... was. It was. Well, it got even better after that. Um, I landed. So I'd, what I haven't mentioned is that I've been taking photographs ever since I can remember. I think I got a box camera when I was five years old, and there's actually a picture of me that my grandmother had taken before we emigrated to Australia. So I was two years old. And the photographer, to quieten me down and keep me um, keep me under control, gave me a little film box. And there's a photograph of me playing with this film box as, as if it was a camera. So I've always been taking photographs. I'm still a really passionate photographer. And I, in after spending the two years in Würzburg at the university, I landed a job with ACFA in their photographic research division. And I, I thought I'd died and gone to heaven. It yeah, was, absolutely. You know, for a young fellow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Fil- film and, and processing, wonderful, amazing place. That's to... right. And, I mean, I, I, the... I remember Aqua because I was a keen photographer in my in my team, so I, I used yeah. for films and materials at the time. So, yeah, very much. Yeah. Mm. Wow. So, so the chemistry I was working on was just amazing. It was really, it was challenging. It was exciting. It was fun. You know, we were having lots of success with it as well. Um, I was in, in a team that you know, there wasn't just the chemistry involved, there was the whole um, technical production aspects of, of producing this film material that we were building, the, all the physical, as, physical chemistry aspects, the optics, the, the um, light, everything to do with you know, light fastness of dyes and so on. It was, there was just so much. It was, was this so colour work? Was this working with colour photography? Or, or... It was working with a colour, an instant colour copy material, so something that um, home photographers, hobby photographers could um, take their, um, their slides that they photographed and enlarge them onto this material and all you had to do to develop it from there was wash it 90 seconds in a solution, which was just a simple um, solution that was very inexpensive, and then two minutes under flowing water and hang it up to dry, and it was done. And it was all on one sheet. So that's, that's all the chemistry that was involved. Wow. It was impressive. It, it was brilliant. And we had it working. We had prototypes. So going hang, everything. hang on. We're, we're going to have to instruct our, our listeners because they're not even going to know why that's impressive. So normally a yeah. dev- a, a, an image would be developed. It would be washed. It would be fixed. And then it would be washed again. And copious amounts of water and well, chemicals. That's correct. And and, and, foul, and, the develop, it, and the developer was foul, I seem to remember. It would make your, it finger, was, it would make right. your fingers change colour. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it was quite dangerous. Actually, the 
it's even more complicated than that for slides, taking copies from slides, because you have to do reversal and, and then you have to, as you say, you have to go through this quite extensive uh, process with paper and lots of chemicals and there's probably about 10 or 12 baths involved. And then the results in those days from that process were ordinary. Yeah. Uh, unless you were really good and unless you had you know, high-end equipment, which <coughs> cost tens of thousands of dollars, that was really only available to professional labs, mm. um, the results were quite ordinary, whereas the results from this was spectacular. And all you needed f by way of equipment was simply an enlarger and a place to have a little dark room. Wow, so, wow. So it must have been a very exciting idea. time being involved in something. that Was that groundbreaking? It was very exciting, very exciting time. Now, my, my timing was off. That was the big problem. Yeah. This was shortly before the first digital uh, consumer camera was launched onto the market. And so I lived through the experience of, at first, the senior management at ACFA panicking and saying, oh, God, our business model is really under threat. What do we do here? I was actually involved in a small task force to get a hold of this camera, the Sunny Mavica, and evaluate it. And I remember the report we wrote at the time where we said this, you know, the quality of the image produced is quite poor. However, the proof of concept is there and given all the patents that were there and given that they've launched this into the consumer market, the proof of concept and the amount of um, resources they've put behind this suggests that this is going further and we expect given the pace of technological development this could be a serious threat to our business. Now I don't think the senior management read past the bit about the poor quality because at the end of the day they said that's all right we just need to make better film. <laughs> And okay. So, okay. So nothing, thought, nothing like okay, throwing your head in, nothing like putting your head in the sand, yeah. is there? That's right. So that kind of shaped my whole attitude. I mean, I was always looking for new ideas and new things to do, and always excited by progress. But that kind of really cemented my attitude to innovation and how, you know, how people can be blindsided by innovation if they're not careful. Hmm. So did you, obviously the industry was, was, I mean, it took a long time for the industry to die off. Did you leave the industry not, not yeah. long after that? I, I did leave a few years after that. It was sort of partly that. I didn't see a future in that. One of the things that um, I'd met a lady over there while I was at university and uh, we ended up getting married. We're still married today, some 40 years later. Wow. Now, the... Um, what she was always interested in Australia and ha had sort of an idea of visiting and we visited and then she said, oh, I really like it here. So we'd made the decision that we'll ultimately move to Australia again. And my plan was actually because ACFA had a facility in Melbourne, um, which is where I grew up. And my plan was I'll get a transfer there and I'll continue my career. But of course, I saw the writing on the wall with the with the digital photography and the birth mm. of that. And I, I didn't see ACFA really responding to that in a way that they were going to survive long term. So we made the decision we'd move to Australia outside of that ACFA umbrella. And so that's what I did. What did you choose to do? That's a, that's a big life-wrenching change, isn't it? It was a big life-wrenching change. At the time, our son had was a year old and... Um, I, it was interesting. I I landed because in those days, there was no internet, there was no teleconferencing available to the ordinary person. So I was writing letters, and waiting a couple of weeks for responses, and I ended up getting a temporary uh, research assistant or associate position at university in Canberra um, through the letter writing and references that mm -hmm. that uh, my professors had provided. Um, it was a temporary thing, but I thought that's good. I'll I'll have something that pays pays to keep us in keep us in food and shelter, mm, yeah. and and I'll be local so that I can then start to apply for jobs properly. Yeah, and go do interviews and so on. 
what I didn't realize when I st got back to the university, I didn't realize how um, I'd grown so distant from that university and that academic environment. And only a few weeks in, I thought, what's the whole purpose of this other than it's paying me a wage? But the, the work itself was so unfulfilling, I couldn't believe it. And so as a result, I, I really accelerated my job application process and I was probably there for eight months before I um, got a job and the job I got was in the specialty chemicals area so we um, manufactured products that were used in a variety of end uses like um, house paints, industrial paints, um, textile furnishings, floor floor coverings, um, floor care products, adhesives, whole mm. range of different things. So there was you know, lots of variety in that. Um, I was in the research and the technical service area, and ultimately I became head of the technical service for all of Asia Pacific. So I was traveling all around Asia Pacific, supporting our clients to get our products working in their production lines and in their products, which was absolutely fabulous from the point of view of getting to meet people in a whole range of different countries from places like Korea to uh, Thailand to India, Pakistan, um, China. And, and also I built up lots of really good relationships with people there. What, what I found was I was pretty good at solving problems and pretty good at getting things to work in practice. Mm -hmm. And as a result, I was highly respected throughout that. But what I kind of learned along the way was because I was curious about people and what made them tick beyond just what they did in, in their job and because I was curious about the cultures that I was being exposed to, that built deeper relationships with people and, and so as a result I was kind of welcomed with open arms in, in all these different places with the people that I was working with and it was a lot of fun. Other than being away from home for 30 to 35 percent of my time over those years it was an enormous amount of fun i worked in in uh, development work and uh, in marketing and development work for a, for a business for many many years and i understand that that fascination because you know we'd have companies going, i've got a problem with this you know and you'd kind of look mm. at adhesives and all sorts of systems to try and work out how to solve their problem for them so i i i, you know, I wasn't from the chemical side but i was application bringing things together yeah, yeah. and you know, i really understand that that level of uh, fascination for that how do you make that work how can we do that yeah so yeah mm. it must have been an interesting time for you it was yeah. yeah yeah so did you stay in the industry i mean that's a long time of traveling around wasn't it? losing your time as at it, home as traveling yeah it was i did i did stay there for about 21 years and 19 of those years i really enjoyed it you know, I loved going to work. I loved all those interactions that I mentioned. Um, you know, I had a great team working for me. And the last two years were a real drag. And, you know, I, I didn't see it coming. And I didn't, you know, I didn't really understand what was going on for a while. Um, what had happened was we'd taken over companies. Other companies had merged with us. There were some massive reorganizations. You know, there was sort of like okay, what's this week's reorganisation? They're starting mm. to get to that level. And not only the uncertainty that brought with it and, and the disruption, but suddenly, you know, what I realised later, that the culture, the whole culture of the organisation was shifting. And I didn't notice it. it I, I was just feeling it. So, you know, I got from 19 years of really excited about working here and uh, this is fabulous I'm really enjoying this and I'm making a contribution I feel valued to oh, get up I wish I could stay in bed I you know I have to go to work again sort of thing and after two years of that I, I pulled the pin and went out on my own but you know what it I think that the trigger event was our biggest client in Southeast Asia, who, you know, it was hundreds of millions of dollars revenue every year. They actually said, we don't want to see it. We, we forbid anyone from your company coming to visit us, except Jürgen 
and one other chap who was a friend of mine, a colleague. What had they who, done to get that level yeah. of rejection? That I mean, exactly, that is, yeah. that, you must have done, they must have done seriously bad to get that level of yeah, rejection. Yeah, so the relationship had really broken down. And they said, you know, Jürgen and this other chap, they're welcome at any time. <laughs> and, and it was because, you know, and this other chap was in a similar role to me in a different kind of business. Um, and he had the same approach as I had. He was building relationships. He was, you know, curious. He really cared about people and their success. And and he was good at what he was doing. So, you know, we were welcome. Everybody else wasn't. And so I remember having a conversation with him and saying, you know, I'm really sick and tired of going into that mm. company and other places and having to apologize for our company, you know. I mean, they they liked us and they they treated us really well, even in that time. But I just felt, you know, I'm going in there and I feel embarrassed. I feel, mm. hey, I've got to I've got to apologise for you know what's happened this week. I've got to apologise for that. You know? This is a really and, extreme example of a value shift of an organisation yeah, sh- shifting exactly. out of, shifting out of your alignment with your values. This is really absolutely. Fascinating. That mm. that was it, and I you know I didn't realize that at the time. If I kind of <clears throat> a, a couple of years later, as I started looking back on that, and as I was doing a lot of work on my own values with my business coach, I realized that that's what that's what it was, and that's why I was feeling so unhappy because the values of the company had shifted way away from my own personal values, and and it was yeah. just in mis- complete. I, I've seen it happen in organizations where where. Originally, the organization was out, was customer centric, out to solving customers' problems. Mm. And the new accountants move in and it becomes profit centered. Mm. And it becomes no longer about solving the problem, it becomes about maximizing the revenue. Yeah. And yeah, then, well, there was certainly, an, there was certainly a, a strong element of that um, happening there at the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, did you go out? You went out on your own at that point, did you? That's right. I went out on my own. My Both my kids had. Um, uh, well, my older one had finished university and was completely independent, had his own job. The younger one had actually pretty much supported herself for a while, even though she hasn't quite finished university. And I thought, well, you know, I can take a risk now. There's sort of less dependency on me yep. as an income provider. So I started my own small business, started off um, in the marketing area for uh for small business in the local area and found it quite challenging because because of the international role I'd had, I had all these strong relationships internationally, but I hadn't really done much to build a network locally. Mm. So I had to get out into the Chamber of Commerce and start to meet people. And I found it very clicky at first and found it hard to break into that. And then a mentor of mine suggested you should start a podcast to... um, position yourself and it's actually a great marketing tool and I'd always enjoyed listening to podcasts and I was listening to audio books from way back when they were on cassette and I thought oh yeah that'd be cool I never realized that I could do that and then he he ran a podcast and he said come and have a look at how I do mine and I can share my process with you and I can tell you all the tools and we host it and all this kind of stuff and I saw that and I thought I can do all that and then it dawned on me immediately that here's my opportunity to reconnect with all these people internationally that I have a great relationship with, that I have no reason professionally to engage with right now, but this podcast gives me that relationship. Because a lot of them were you know, owners or senior executives yeah. in large organizations, and they were t- highly technical, they were doing innovative things, so it came back to this um, theme of innovation and so that's where I started the podcast and now we're into I think we recorded episode 473 this morning oh and uh, yeah. wow oh well I, I'm a baby compared to you then I'm just <laughs> over 200 <laughs> yeah it's it's a lovely journey getting into podcasting so that that's one has it worked for you I mean did you manage to connect with oh absolutely yeah absolutely yeah like my first um of my first 25 or 30 guests, probably a third of them were from um, from that network and some of them I was quite close to. So I listened back sometimes to um, some of those early episodes and the ones where I hadn't met the person before are very stilted because I carefully scripted what I was going to say and that. And, and so they sound like that. They don't sound natural, um, but that's okay. That was the start. But I listened to the ones with people that 
I had a relationship with and they actually sound really good given that I was completely new to podcasting because it was just a natural conversation with yeah. a friend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it, that's how it is. You know, that's when you when you get mm. natural with someone, it's so so easy, isn't it? It's amazing. So, yeah. what's been the pa passion journey for you? Because clearly, you were passionate about photography. What yeah. was it about chemistry and photography and those sort of things that was driving you? Uh, that's an interesting question. I mean, photography. I don't know. It's always it's like it's just part of me, mm. um, and and it's my creative outlet i'm you know i like to say i don't have a creative bone in my body because if i draw a stick man people don't even recognize that that's what it is but photography is is my creative outlet and i seem to have an ability to just kind of see things in different perspectives and i take some photographs even sometimes i amaze myself at the photographs i take but also now um with digital photography the ability to I say I've got a virtual darkroom on my computer and I've mm. got you know, a bunch of different software where I can do all the things that I learned to do while I was at ACFA where I had access to all this high-end equipment in darkrooms. I can do all of that on the computer now with digital photography and I can do it in a way that I don't destroy the original image. Um, I can go back and start again if I don't like the result. Um, so it's it's a creative outlet, I guess. And if I'm, if I'm ever feeling a little flat or something one of the things i love to go and do is just go out for a walk with my camera and that that always brings me grounds me again brings me back to reality with chemistry i guess um i'm not sure where that passion developed it was one of those things where as a teenager you know you, you're constantly asked by parents and other others in your circle what you know what are you going to do what are you going <laughs> to study when you finish school kind of thing yeah yeah, yeah. and and the expectation, my father was an electrical engineer. Um, I had ideas of um, perhaps being an astrologer. That was one of the things that inspired me. I was always uh, interested in looking at the stars. And then I um, explored that some as a young fellow. And whilst I was really good at maths, um, when I learnt that astrology was actually all, you know, as a professional, it was actually more about maths than anything else, I thought, no, that's... That's not really. I wouldn't. I think that. you mean astronomy rather than astrology. Astro I think, sorry, astronomy. That's yeah. fine. That's fine. I You're just right. think it's, I just think it's interesting because astrology is about imagination. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're right. Astronomy. Yeah. And I, I, and again, that was photography, right? I was inspired yeah. by, hey, there's a cool picture of planets, and wow, yeah. you can take photos of of different things, far away things, and an interesting and study and what's going on there. Um, but yes, it was um, all about mathematics. So. So chemistry was kind of like I didn't want to do engineering. I wanted to be different than my dad. Um, so chemistry was kind of like, oh, this is cool. And I started playing around with a, a home chemistry set in the garage and making um, poison egg gas and all kinds of weird and wonderful <laughs> things that got me into trouble. And so that, that kind of set me on the path. And I guess um, when I found that there was a connection between chemistry and photography, I mean, that, that really um, cemented it for me. Yeah, fascinating. Yeah. So, where's it led you now? I mean, you're a podcaster. What else are you doing now? Well, it's interesting. I, I mean, I was doing a lot of, you know, our philosophy is make marketing marketing human again. So, mm. bringing all that relationship networking stuff into the idea of marketing. So, really caring about people and caring about their success as opposed to just wanting to sell stuff. And uh, it's. It's kind of come full circle for me now because the thing that gives me most joy, I've realized, is the podcasting game. So we're taking this concept of making marketing human into podcasting and I'm saying, you know, podcast like you're human. And so we're doing lots of um, podcast production work for clients. We're doing um, training on how to get podcasts underway and I've got some new ideas of helping people who don't have a podcast right now who believe they don't have the time to do a podcast of setting up their own podcast in a way that all they have to do is show up have a conversation and then it's done and mm. everything else is taken care of for them so we're doing a lot of that and I'm really excited by the whole podcast industry and 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 building off that, I mean, for me, podcasting has grown my network enormously all around the world. I mean, that's how we connected through the mm. podcasting game and and it's grown my business. So that's my focus right now. 
I think it's an amazing uh, industry to be in. Like, you know, I, I love the fact that I can communicate with people over the world. I think podcasting has an amazing opportunity. The, the one thing about podcasting is it doesn't really have any competition in some spaces. So I was talking to somebody the other day and they said, you know, I'm, I've been listening to your podcast while I've been walking the dog in the morning. So, you know, people, if they're out on the walk or they're commuting, yeah. I mean, we don't commute that much these days, but when I was commuting, um, I was always listening to a podcast. So, yeah. and there's nothing else. You can't watch YouTube while you're driving. No, you can't. Car. That's the one advantage. Yeah. The audio framework is amazing in terms mm. of it's a multitasking thing. And that's, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Running in the gym, those sort of things. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you, mm. you touched on success a moment ago. What, what is success for you these days? Because success, is, I mean, obviously it changes for us all over time. How do you measure it nowadays? It does, yeah. Yeah, well, it's interesting for me. If I reflect on success, it's really about, you know, am I doing what I enjoy doing and am I making a contribution in some form? So, you know, have I changed somebody or something or the world f for the better today um, mm. and sometimes that's a hard question to answer but I always think you know there's the butterfly effect so all it needs is one person to come back and say I really enjoyed that conversation you had with Paul for example then I know okay I've made a contribution to that person I mean it'd be interesting to know what they got out of it what transpires as a result of that but simply that they took the time to tell me that they enjoyed it I know that I've made that contribution. And if I've enjoyed doing that at the same time, then that, that to me is success. I mean, you can't get much better than that. No, indeed. Uh, and I think that's part of the thing for me, why I always ask the question. I think a lot of people actually don't know what success means. Hmm. They don't actually sit down and actually say, oh, that would be successful. Or they, or they go into a project without a definition of what success on the project yeah, looks yeah. like. And then they wonder why they're unhappy when they get to the other side of it because it's, because it's never, actually right, set, yeah. never actually set a destination. <laughs> exactly, yeah. If you don't know where you're going, you, you won't know when you get there, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> Old Alice in Wonderland quote. <laughs> the, um, the contribution thing's interesting. That's, that's obviously another one of my questions. And so your contribution mm. to the world clearly at one point was that you're, you're working with teams that sounds like it, isn't it? Is your contribution around that for you, do you think? Is that that relationship stuff? Yeah, I think that's my contribution. I think, you know, I'm I'm actually an introvert. I mean, you, you wouldn't know by me speaking on this podcast, um, but I usually, if I talk for an hour like this, I'll need three or four hours of alone time to reach out. Yeah, that's the point. You have to go and lie down afterwards. Yes, I've heard that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the, um, yeah, so, you know, building relationships with people, if somebody said to me, hey, you have to build a relationship with that person, and, and that happened a lot during my corporate career, and, and I always, that intimidated me. I always felt scared of that. And yet, um, I'm actually pretty good at it, but not if I tell myself I've got to build a relationship with this person. It's simply you know going about being human, taking an interest in what that person does and how they live and what interests them, and and then it grows from there. So I guess to help people understand that by just being themselves, being natural, being authentic and taking an interest in others and and looking for opportunities to work together to make this planet we live on a better place, that, yeah. that actually builds relationships much better than if you kind of say, okay, I've got to build a relationship with this person in order to make a sale or in order to work together for a project or whatever it might yeah. be. Yeah, yeah. How do you contribute to yourself? Well, I mentioned the photography part. That's definitely one. Mm -hmm. um, the other one is I, I'm a keen cyclist. So I haven't mentioned cycling yet. That's the other thing I get really passionate about talking about. Um, so I, I like to do long cycle tours. Wow. Um, at, at the moment, we're coming out of winter, so I haven't done as many as, as I perhaps do over summer. So I'm not as fit as I am. So typically now I might do an hour of a morning, just go out for a ride up the hill in this local area to get a bit of um, resistance training. And I like to go on, on long cycle tours just off the beaten track and discover new places. And sometimes we do that as a group and we'll go away somewhere, spend a week and just do cycle touring and visiting wineries and nice cafes and nice restaurants. Uh, so that's that's one of my big. Not been tempted with an e, not been tempted with an e-bike then. 
I am tempted with an e-bike. <laughs> my, my wife actually has an e-bike. Unfortunately, it's too small for me. <laughs> Otherwise, I'd borrow it more often. Uh, every now and then when I'm riding somewhere, if I've got a big headwind or a long hill to go up, and I think, oh, e-bike would be nice now. <laughs> but I think, yeah, I think I'm looking at e-bikes in terms of, you know, when I get to an age and to a fitness level where I can where it just becomes too much of a struggle, I'll get an e-bike because that will keep me going. They are fascinating. I'm, I'm resistant at the moment because <clears throat> I do a lot of local <clears throat> cycling, but I can see the, the benefit that, that they do extend your range. So I can see a lot of benefit <clears throat> in that. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's interesting. So, you know, that it's fascinating to know that you've, you, you are still exploring stuff by the sounds of it. You're, it's, yeah, you're, yeah. you're still looking for an edge. Uh, yeah, well, one of my core values is is learning and growth, um, personal growth as well. So I figure, you know, I'm still learning. And everybody, I, I have this philosophy, and I think somebody actually, there's a famous person that's quoted this, and that's, I think it was um, TV personality that said that everybody you meet knows something you don't. So there's a learning opportunity. That's nice. There is actually, yeah, there's always something to learn from people. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah, fantastic. So what's the one question that you like people to ask you? Well, I guess at the moment, given my focus on the podcasting, it's, you know, how could, how could we start a podcast if, or how could we get our podcast more regular if, if we have one so? that uh, doesn't involve us taking time away from the things that we're currently doing and investing in that? So how does one go about doing that? <laughs> Well, there's a long answer to that, but I, I, I suggest people check out my LinkedIn profile because I've just rehashed my LinkedIn profile to reflect our um, focus more on podcasting. And I've put a lot of tips in my about section yeah. as to some of the things to consider. And I've also got a link there if people want to just have a, a no obligation free chat with me about all things podcasting or whatever. So what would you say is the, uh, I mean, I could answer this question, but this is this is for your this is for the benefit of your listeners to this podcast or people listening to it. What would you say is the is the best thing about podcasting from your perspective? You're taking you're taking your clients through. For me personally, I think it's it's the ability to speak to anyone anywhere in the world. Yeah, and basically, you have access to people that normally you wouldn't get access to. You know, they'd say, well, why do you want to speak to me? But if you say, hey, I'd love to get you on my podcast, then that question's suddenly gone. Um, and you get the opportunity to learn from them. And I get the opportunity to share that with my audience. So for me personally, that that's probably a snapshot of what's what's I like best about podcasting. And then, of course, it it's such a powerful medium to get, whatever message you want to share with the world to get yeah. that out there. What I would say about it, and from what my experience of podcasting, is the one thing that it, it does is it breaks down barriers in terms of having conversations. Mm. So I, I have approached all sorts of people to be on this show, and I've never had a problem. I've never been rebuffed. I've always had a good conversation. We may have decided not to go forward with the show, but we've always started a conversation about it. Uh, mm. And it's like if I try to do it from a sales perspective or to connect with someone, it will be very difficult. It just takes the boundary away. Yeah, yeah. That's right, as soon as you say, I'm interested that. in you to come on my show, because ooh, it, 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 it always tweaks someone's interest. They yeah. have to have the conversation. <laughs> that's right. And if you do it really well, like we, we've refined our process so much now, people sort of say, wow, that's such a great process to, that you take the people through, such a great journey, and yeah. I felt comfortable right from the get-go. So you know, yeah. when, when you can put people in that frame of mind, then when you get to the conversation, of course, it's like what I said earlier, that it's like the conversation between the friends. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. So how do people get in touch with you, and what do you want? I, I know you briefly said what you offer, but you know, say a bit more if you want to, and let's have some links and bits of how they could get in touch and what they could achieve. Well, the best best thing is to go to our website, which is InnovaBiz, I-N-N-O-V-A-B-I-Z, or Z for the Americans, uh, .com.au, and you'll find way, ways to contact us there or just find my LinkedIn page. So if you search Jürgen Strauss, you'll find my LinkedIn page, and you can connect with me through that. 
Um, in terms of what we offer, basically it's podcasting, production, podcasting training, and anything related to podcasting. So we're looking to build a community around podcasting. I've started building a community where we have like mastermind sessions or uh, I call them human connection events where we have meaningful conversations between people who've been on my podcast as guests and I facilitate that and that um, really gets a lot of interest and inspires people to kind of have longer conversations. They get to meet people they haven't met before. They actually lead on to conversations and sometimes business and or joint ventures. Is it for, I mean, who do, you, who do you think is ideal for this kind of thing? Is it business people you predominantly you work with? Yeah, we predominantly work with business people. My sort of dream clients are coaches and consultants that work in the technical um, manufacturing and healthcare space, so service mm. those industries. Um, but I'm also starting to look at book authors as well. Mm. Um, one of the ideas book authors and other content creators because one of the thoughts there is they've put all this effort into creating all that content and they could be doing a podcast around that using the same content because they're just then um, putting that content out in a different format and sharing it with the world and a podcast would be a great way to bring people back to the book for example and increase sales of the book which ultimately will then lead to whatever the book Um, whatever business that leads to and I'm thinking well how can we make that really easy for people so we've got some ideas of how we do that where all the content creator would need to do is um, work with us to outline a series of episodes which could be book chapters and then they just turn up for a conversation with me and we do everything else and they have a podcast all done for them. So I took my marketing hat off last year. I, I, I finally said I'm no longer in marketing. I'm no longer yeah. I'm no longer a marketing gun for hire. Well, actual fact, I probably am. If the right question came along, but I'm not <laughs> looking. I'm not looking for it, right? But what I would say for anyone listening to this who's thinking about a podcast, just consider this: there are probably more than a couple of billion YouTube channels. Hmm. There are only about two million podcasts. That's right. Yeah, there's exactly a big right. difference in numbers. And you're like, and you know, it may be three million now, but all the same, the yeah. numbers are much, much, you know, they're, they're different. You are this is a fascinatingly growing marketplace to be involved in. That's right. Well, Podcast Insights just published um some <clears throat> numbers for 2021 and they say there's just over two million active podcasts. So these are podcasts that are regularly um, posting new episodes. And that's that's a pretty startling growth because I think the numbers back in 2018 were only around 500,000. Yeah. But when you compare that with YouTube channels, yeah. active YouTubes, or when you compare it with blogs, there's over 600 <clears throat> million blogs on the internet. So I think there's a huge opportunity in, in the podcasting space. And it doesn't take too much to get into a, you know into a niche and get into a good place in that niche. So if you are thinking mm. about anything about podcasting and want to explore it further... Talk to Jürgen. Good conversation. Thanks. So, Jürgen, we get to the uh, just final point. All those links to get in touch with Jürgen will be at the website lifepassionandbusiness.com. So you can find it all there. We'll have all those links there, everything you need to connect with him. So our final question that we ask everybody before we end is, what's the meaning of life for you? (laughs) I'll tell you a little story. Um, One of the um, bike tours that we have been doing regularly for nearly 20 years um, is a camping thing. And one of the guys that is with us there, he's up at 5 a.m. every morning and he gets out of the tent and he um, stands, stands up, you know, before sunrise and he yells at the top of his voice, this is the life. And everybody, you know, everybody's sort of waking up going, Rrr. and, and um, I, I think, well, you know, he's, he's got a point there, actually. And one of the things we do on that tour is we have a, a day where we have a long lunch and there's a keynote speech in that long lunch. And the topic of the speech is always the same and it's always the meaning of life. And the idea, of course, is somebody gets nominated to do the keynote speech. And the idea is you talk for 10 minutes about 
absolute nonsense. <laughs> and and it's just fun, you know. And by that time, of course, we've had quite a bit of wine or whatever. Um, and I remember doing mine one time, and I, I I can't remember what nonsense I talked about, but I wrapped it up and I said, I, I want to say one serious thing here. I said, here I am on the bike out in the beautiful countryside. The weather's wonderful. I'm with beautiful friends that I love. I'm having a ball. We're having great food. We're enjoying great wine. That's the meaning of life. Yeah. Jürgen Strauss, thank you so much. It's been a joy to talk to you. Thank you, Paul. I've really enjoyed it. I have. All the best. And that was Life, Passion and Business with Paul Harvey and my guest, Jürgen Strauss. If you would like to connect with Jürgen, you can find his website at innovatorbiz.com.au. His podcast is innovatorbiz.com. And his LinkedIn profile, which is probably the easiest place to find him, is Jürgen Strauss. And as you heard on the show, he mentioned photography. And I have since discovered a photography website, which is jürgenstrauss.com. Now, all of those links will be available at the website lifepassionandbusiness.com. Hopefully you have been following this podcast for a while and have explored the five questions for yourself. But if not, what's stopping you? You know, after hundreds of interviews, I can say with a hand on my heart that having answers to the questions about our passion, a picture of success, an awareness of contribution, thoughts around the one question and the sense of what it all means, that is the path to a good life. Now look, you don't need me to tell you that our world is changing faster than at any other time, certainly any time I can remember. And we must be sure to know who we are and what we want out of this journey because we will not get it unless we choose it. So please give it some thought because you know your future depends on it. And if you'd like some help with that process, do check out the resources tab at lifepassionandbusiness.com where you will find the five questions ebook and worksheets. Now this stuff is packed with exercises to help you on the journey towards self-discovery and it's at the amazing price of just 12.99. So do check that out at the resources tab at lifepassionandbusiness.com. Now, finally, has this podcast been useful to you? If so, please consider giving us a five-star review on the app of your choosing. And of course, sharing it with a friend, because that's how people like yourself find good podcasts. And that's it from me until Sunday. As always, thank you so much for being here with me on this journey. I so appreciate your time and attention. I'll catch you next time. All the best.